kind of figured we would just talk about the um, stuff going on that's not being reported by the news because everyone's too concerned with uh, Kufkov right now. So, <laughs> right. I mean, it is crazy how much the 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 news is just all coronavirus. I, I mean. Uh, for like four years now I've been doing like the news roundup every day and so I feel like I have a pretty good sense of what goes on the international news and no story has been covered like this I don't think it's consumed that percentage of the number of stories out yeah like even something historic like Trump going to the DMZ or something like that was did not make up as high as percentage of the 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 news as coronavirus so it's crazy yeah I mean you would have thought something like that would have been covered way more. And then right, uh, but, yeah, it's like the media, like, well, it's like, well, how dare he like step over the line without being invited, you know, <laughs> that type of stuff. Right. Well, and like with coronavirus, it's almost every day. There's a story from, if not every single country, like 50 different stories, you know, yeah. uh, Portugal, they're, you know, having a second wave and so that this is going on there and there's so many cases in thailand and so many in japan right and that's just it, it's like every country every has a story you know what peru's doing what brazil's doing is also is i i i haven't experienced anything like it and it's been i, I don't know like difficult to try to understand what's going on when so much is dedicated to just this like one top it that doesn't seem to be at least that big of a deal not that you know you should go cough on grandma but like <laughs> l- let's be honest like you know the the number of people dying here isn't the the grim predictions that we initially got yeah it's definitely not as bad as everyone was saying uh my brother had it and he was in the hospital for about four days and i was even asking him, i was like so how many other people were there and he was like uh there might have been like two or three others <laughs> you yeah. know so he said, yeah, it wasn't, I was expecting it to be full. The, the place seemed like a ghost town. I think most people are just afraid of even going for other issues. Yeah. Well, and I think one thing that may be an issue too, is it, it seems like every couple of weeks we get a new recommendation from the scientist and, you know, right. those are just whoever the media kind of anoints as the official experts on the subject. And, and they have like a new thing. And whatever their new thing is, is the word of God. And that's how everybody reacts to the thing. And I'm not trying to say that like everything Dr. Fauci says is made up or junk science or whatever. But there's a there's a wide range of opinions and a lot of dissent within the the science field that I don't think most people like get that perspective. And and most of the time it's dismissed if it even uh, gets close enough to the public. You know, those two doctors in California that made that video and it got pulled down from everywhere. I'm not saying that everything they said was right, but like, you know, you got to let dissenting view points and conversations going that just hasn't been allowed to happen yeah that was pretty crazy because to me those two doctors i I listened to that whole thing and it was like i was like well you know these guys are making a lot of sense and you know he's just using his own numbers from his own practice and everything so there's got to be some kind of validity to what he's talking about i mean that's nothing to you know ban every version of that video that comes out on youtube or whatever right you know it's like you just let it go and no more than with Dr. Fauci should the whole country take that video and say, this is what we now think about coronavirus. Yeah. But that that does seem that it's just kind of crazy that that's how it's been going. Yeah. And the other one, the, uh, the pandemic 
uh, video that's been going around that they can't it's like playing whack-a-mole with that one too. And yeah, like I all have of the, not seen that. So <laughs> yeah, like all of the serious like debunking videos, they they all start off with an ad hominem. It's like, oh yeah, five seconds into this, it's crazy sauce. I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, just whatever they're saying, give me a chapter and verse of the counter argument to it. Let's just not get into name calling. Yeah, well, I mean, part of the scary thing is is how it's being used for censorship. Uh, oh, yeah. So Southfront, which is a news source that, yeah, it, it's kind of like Zero Hedge to me, where, like, read everything, click on the links. Don't right. just, like, take everything you read on Southfront South as fact. But it is, at times, a very valuable news source. And they were deplatformed from Facebook and YouTube. Apparently, the the hmm. site had the channel had no YouTube stripes and was just taken down, and they actually hadn't done any coverage of coronavirus on their channel either. But the Facebook page had done some coverage of coronavirus, and yeah. uh, you know, one of these groups that's you know related to NATO and the Atlantic Council that Facebook has hired to determine censorship, uh, just decided that hell, you you know, we're going to use this to take uh, South Front down, and in fact. They just kind of says that, that uh, Southfront sounds like this other news organization, Newsfront. Uh, and Newsfront is a Russian government news organization, but they're open about it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like RT where, you it's know. literally stands for Russia today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's <laughs> obvious. And, yeah. you know, that does mean that some of the coverage that you'll find at RT is going to be skewed in a certain way. But that doesn't mean that it's all trash and that you can't find a lot of value in it. In fact, uh, a good friend of mine and somebody who's a frequent guest on my podcast, Will Porter, is a staff writer at RT. Yeah, I mean, Will let Porter me tell you great. something. You know, this guy is not taking orders from Vladimir Putin. He's a straight-up ANCAP, everyone. So I will assure yeah. you that he is not, <laughs> like, somehow in favor of, like, the the conservative, strict, restrictive government of Russia. Um, but at the same time, you know, he does appreciate that he has the ability to write news stories and get paid for it and expose important things going on in the world. You know, like we, we just had this crazy coup attempt in Venezuela and stuff like that, that doesn't end up yeah. getting talked about. Yeah. That one was really crazy. It was like, turned out to be like a PMC group out of Florida. It was like I silver mean, stream or whatever they're called. So as far as the twists and turns of, in this story have gone, I will say that who knows what, you know, kind of revelation we're going to get next. But yeah, Silver Corp, I think is the name yeah, of it, yeah. operating out of Florida. There's at least uh, one former special operations guy in charge of it and a couple more were involved. And uh, they like over the past year, I guess, have been working to put together this coup attempt in, in Venezuela and it seemed that at one time they had a little bit more momentum than more momentum than they did when they actually launched this thing maybe they had a couple hundred people uh rallied to their cause rather than the 50 or 60 <laughs> they tried to actually land in Venezuela right. uh, a couple weeks ago but yeah including two Americans and, and so now you have a situation where you have this absurd coup attempt where you, like can anybody imagine, like, just look at Venezuela on a map, everyone, and, and see that this isn't, I don't know, like a Rhode Island-sized state. 50 or 60 no, people are not going to, even whatever arms you have, give them. Yeah. They're not going to be able to take over and arrest Maduro and get him out of the country. That's lunacy. Yeah, what is and it, so, like three-quarters the size of Texas? It's a huge country. 
yeah, it's a pretty big country. It's not yeah. exactly forgiving terrain. There's a lot of forest there. And a- as we've seen, as much as, you know, I don't like communists, I, you know, I don't, socialism's not my thing. You know, Austrian economics is the way to go. But yeah. there's a hell of a lot of poor people in Venezuela that if you try to take Maduro out of the country, they're going to kill you. Yeah. You know, to them, Maduro's their savior. Yeah. So whatever little bit that, you know, he's quote given them, you know, they, they just see that as, you know, a godsend and. Right. And, and I guess the only, you know, thing you have to remember is it's not like Venezuela was uh, a a capitalist paradise before, you know, before you just had all the poor people being robbed, uh, you know, by a a specific rich group. And now you have a, a, dictatorship in power and you know they give a little bit more to the poor people and they actually look after those people a little bit give them a little bit now they still have a lot themselves and i I definitely know that maduro lives a hell of a lot better than the people in the slums of the country (laughs) but you know those people say like we know what it's like to live like absolute dirt and we know what it's like to have a little bit yeah so they're not willing to risk that yeah, I mean, even if you look at Maduro, you can tell, you know, that's he's he's not really helping out too much. I mean, that guy could stand to miss a few meals. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and he's not the the like kind of charismatic leader that Chavez was. And he legitimately right. doesn't seem as popular. But at the same time, when, you know, in the past couple of years where we've had this uh, U.S. backing this guy, Juan Guaido, who was the leader of an opposition parliament and wasn't necessarily a popular figure in the country it's yeah you know it, it, it's like take whatever congressman is in georgia like slot seven i have no idea who it is yeah. but I, i'm sure like there's a few very small percentage of americans who can name who that is and uh that's who juan Gaido is he, he's somebody like his constituents know who he was a few other people did and you know we just declare him to be president of venezuela <laughs> and then whenever you know he had rallies in the streets oh you could find some you know footage of him looking like he has a big rally but then you see the maduro rally and you're like and oh yeah, okay dwarfed. we kind of see yeah. where, where the the population puts the, you know their faith in who who they think is going to represent them and give them more yeah it's um that's pretty crazy i i think you'd even be hard pressed to find most uh people in the state of georgia who know who they're their state rep or their state congressman would be. So it's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, and Guaido, I, did you see him during the state of the union? Yeah. I mean, I find it hard to sit there and watch like an hour and a half of Trump, especially yeah, yeah, that every 15 minutes you like have like a five minute round of applause being like, Oh, how great this is. Although it is kind of funny whenever they, you know, clip to like Mitt Romney or something looking sad or Nancy Pelosi looking all pissed off. But yeah, I I mean, that Juan Guaido gets an invitation to the State of the Union, I think probably undermines his legitimacy more in Venezuela. But so I guess it kind of maybe does tell us a little bit about what venezuela means to donald trump and i guess it's more of a pr campaign than he's actually ideologically tied to the need for a regime change in that country or something well i found it kind of strange because when they called out his name and had him stand up i mean he looked kind of dazed and confused it was like oh i thought i was just supposed to be here to watch (laughs) it was like he didn't know what was about to happen 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it seems face. like there's a lot of corruption uh, within, you know, his his circle there. And, you know, the, they've shown that, you know, they're not people who are going to, like, revolutionize Venezuela and end corruption and make sure those, you know, rich and the well-connected stop stealing in that country. And so who knows, maybe right. he was a little loaded or something <laughs> at this state of the year, partied a little too hard the night before. I don't know. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of bizarre to watch him. I was like, man, I it's like it almost looks like he doesn't even really know where he's at. <laughs> right. It, it maybe you know he's the the other possibility is he's kind of like you know shaking in his boots right there, realizing that having the the you know world emperor Donald Trump anoint you as president of Venezuela, you know, may uh, be a, a line too far for the, you know the people of Venezuela, and when you go home. You know, they may round you up and throw you in jail. Another crazy thing, uh, Juan Guaido declared himself president, I think it's the end of January of 2019. Right. He's been running around Venezuela and Colombia and the United States working on his opposition leadership. And yeah. he hasn't been, like, arrested and thrown in the gulag. He hasn't been tortured. He hasn't been assassinated. Right. I, I mean... I, Think about if Nancy Pelosi spent a year running around claiming that she was president because, you know, Donald Trump was elected by Vladimir Putin or whatever kind of yeah. uh, crap. Do you really think that she wouldn't have been arrested by this point or somebody wouldn't have assassinated her or something? Yeah, it was, with Nancy Pelosi, we'd be wondering, I was like, OK, I guess you're off your meds and <laughs> come with us to the hospital, Grandma. <laughs> yeah, we told you not to drink all your meds, Grandma. Come on. Mm-hmm. but. I don't know. Maybe there's something in the $15 a pint uh, ice cream that she has in her $26,000 refrigerator. You you know that <laughs> all these members of Congress are locked up somewhere and just, I, I mean, because th- this is the population of people that really has to worry about coronavirus. Like, yeah. not to joke too much about it because, you know, there's older people that I do care about. But right. you have to imagine that they are not feeling this like the rest of us. And they just have stuff being brought to them all day long. Yeah, I mean, that, that video... It was- it was a James Corden show where he was like trying to do like a remote with her. And I was like, Oh, did nobody like tell her? <laughs> I was like, you were about to look like you have just lost touch with the entire planet. Like you are on a different one. <laughs> well, I mean, I had to imagine the only constituents that think, you know, she's in, in touch with them are like her husband and uh, you know, the, the <laughs> four or five other people around her that uh, help her to maintain her, you know, just position as the DNC nominee for that seat. And, yeah. you know, whoever's blue on that ballot is going to get elected. So that's all <laughs> she needs. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's um, talk about her and some of the other uh, Congress critters out there who've made like millions of dollars and, you know, their base salary is not that much. So it makes one wonder. Right. Well, I mean, th- this even goes to Bernie Sanders, who oh, yeah. has made millions of dollars writing books about how wrong it is to make millions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's funny in that way. Uh, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, I'm a capitalist and hell, like if, if he could make that money, good for him. Like he, uh, he has worked his ass off. I mean, he's 80 years old and he's giving speeches that are at least was before this coronavirus stuff. And, yeah. you know, he cowardly 
ended his presidential campaign and everything. But you know, he was out there giving speeches every day and working <laughs> hard. So what what the hell am I gonna say? He he earned that money, but you know, there's just kind of that hypocrisy that he has to face. But you you know, that's another thing. Where are the investigations uh into you know Sanders, what Lothlier, Burr, and whoever else uh you know, traded in their stops in these industries after they had a briefing about how serious coronavirus would be. Right. Uh, we need to look into that. Even if the death tolls aren't high, uh, the fact that people thought that they would be after they received the information that the Sanders received. Yeah, it was pretty much that, the perception of the whole thing was, oh, right. this is the the next thing that's going to kill. And that's like what the U.S. economy is. It's just yeah. perception anyway. So yeah, yeah, it's smoke and mirrors. Yeah. But yeah, if it it's like okay, you just came out of a briefing and then you immediately got on your uh, on the phone to somebody at Charles Schwab and you're telling them to sell everything, you know something's definitely up there. So, right. But yeah, this uh, these are all the news stories that the that the uh, corporate press should be uh, telling everybody about, but instead we got to get the scare tactics out there and then. Oh, look at this. You know, a couple of white guys jumped a black guy in Georgia a couple of months ago and shot him to death. You know, this, I I view like all of this stuff as just distractions from stuff that's really going on. And then the news about the, uh, you know, the alleged coup down in Venezuela by a PMC group that nobody just seems like, okay, well, they did this and that's all we're going to talk about. We're not going to follow up on it. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, the, you know, the situation in Georgia is one where, you know, that's something that maybe does deserve a little bit of, of press attention. But at the same time, it can't be the only thing other than coronavirus gains something. I, I mean, you know, maybe there is a, a place for a conversation to be had about, you know, if you are somebody and you see somebody who's black committing a crime, like don't run down and shoot them, you know, yeah. just because they're black and even maybe, you know, committing a minor crime like burglary, you know, they're, they're still a person. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that you just hunt them down and kill them. That's, uh, you know, that's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, we need to have a conversation about that. But at the same time, like, that's the only story that poached through for an entire week other than coronavirus. And, you yeah. know, people get all charged up about that, too. And then have no energy for anything else, including, the you know, the fact that we're now heading, what, six, six months from the election. And we have Trump versus Biden, who is pretty clearly unwell uh, a president of a major party is unwell and yeah. it's not like trump is doing an effective or competent job as president we've added four trillion dollars uh it, it seems like with this stimulus bill uh most of the money going to the richest in the country why we we all you know get a few pennies each right. and so like all that stuff needs to be talked about and it's completely left out because everything is dedicated to, you know, how many people died in every single district about coronavirus. And anytime anybody dies under the age of 30 from coronavirus, there has to be like, you know, a full hour cable show and, uh, you know, three news profiles about them. Yeah. Uh, you know, then they won't mention that the fact that the, uh, the person under 30 was probably morbidly obese, you know, probably yeah, had right. fatter, fatty liver disease and a whole host of other things. So. Right. Or, uh, you know, I mean, I, there's one story and I, I'm, I think it, I was reading it in the Washington Post, but I could be wrong. It, it was definitely a mainstream source. And they were talking about some kid who died uh, of coronavirus. And, you know, halfway through, it seems like the, the most like tragic thing where 
this healthy young man could try to coronavirus and die. They're talking about how he'd like to play sports and he did this and that. And then like in paragraph, like, I think like 15, you get there and they're like, he had leukemia. And it's like, okay. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, not that this person's life should be forfeit because they have leukemia and that we should go all go sneeze on him because his immune system's deficient. But at the same time, it, it's not the same thing that uh, a perfectly healthy person, you know, died of coronavirus. And uh, you can't get get that, you know, distinction from the mainstream media right now. Yeah, that's, uh, there's a big difference between dying with COVID and dying from COVID, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> those two words make all the difference. All right, let's just pump the brakes right there. We'll be right back. Hey y'all, before we get back into it, I just want to tell you about a new podcast I learned about. It's called The Porcupine Perspective. Check them out. Porcupine, P-O-V dot porcupinepodcast.com. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, but uh, what else has been uh, going on in the news, like in Middle East type stuff? Is there uh, still chicanery going on in Saudi Arabia and Yemen? Yeah, so, I mean, this is the worst situation right now. I'm not sure if this is a translation thing or maybe, uh, the, you know, the government in Yemen is really trying to attract some headlines to get some more aid sent there or what. But they describe the situation in the, the second capital city, the one that is controlled by the Saudi-backed government as being infested with COVID. Hmm. So it, it sounds pretty bleak there. There's also yeah. the fact that, you know, that you have what people loosely call a civil war in Yemen going on between the Houthis and the Saudi bat government. Right. Uh, but now you have a second civil war that is once again, opening up between the Saudi bat government and the Southern tradition transitional counter. And this is a group of, I think uh, ideological communists who want to break Southern Yemen off of the rest of Yemen and right. just go their separate way. And they're opposed by the Saudi Beth government. And in fact, they're actually more supported by the United Arab Emirates. And so you get to the, the yeah. very complicated thing where you have most people's understanding, if they have any of us foreign policy in the middle East that, you know, we're allied with Saudi Arabia and the UAE and, you know, their foreign policy is pretty much the same as other, but it's really not the case of Yemen. There's been uh, some some differences and splits there. So yeah. it's a very uh, dangerous situation in Yemen right now when you look at how decimated that healthcare system is. And, you, you know, I'm not sure exactly how serious coronavirus is and how it's going to spread in Yemen, but I do know that cholera, which is a disease that a virus that should be pretty easily treated. You just have to be able to uh, purify the water somehow, whether it's with chlorine tablets or uh, boiling it, I, I guess, you know, killing off the virus that way. And yeah. then if you do get it, you just need to go to the hospital and get fluids. Well, you know, that kill, that kills a few thousand people a year in Yemen. They've had outbreaks of up to a million people. So looking at that, something that should be very easily managed, uh, who knows what happens if coronavirus spreads through Yemen, but it, it could be absolutely disastrous. We do know that there have been cases both in the, the southern areas of Aden and then the, the Houthi-controlled areas in the north, uh, including the capital, Sana'a. Uh, there's also the, the fact that the Houthis have pressed their advantage a little bit in recent months and have actually made some tor territorial gains along the Saudi border. And so, right. you know, this has made Saudi Arabia feel more threatened, so they carry out more airstrikes. And as, you know, much as 
it's a terrible situation for everyone and the Houthis aren't angels. Uh, you know, the, the situation in the capital say is not so bleak right now uh, because yeah. uh, of, I think the ultimate villains of the conflict, the, the Saudis. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's definitely a sad state of affairs over there. I mean, the cholera is it's so easily treatable. It's just improving sewer and sanitation for the most part. It's just as long as you're not drinking water where you're, where your crap and your piss is going, you know, basically. Right. Um, and you, and you I can't mean, even the, get those, that, yeah, that they, basic necessities done. I mean, coronavirus, I mean, that's just going to compound on top of their problems. Right. The, the Saudis have literally bombed the water treatment facilities right. and then they've prevented ships from offloading like chlorine tablets in the country. So it's not, you know, in the normal sense, biological warfare, but it does seem that the, the Saudi reg- regime here is taking steps that deliberately spread the, you know, corona, not coronavirus, uh, cholera. And, you know, assuming that kind of the same thing happens, coronavirus in Yemen. Yeah. So, the, yeah, that that was the other thing. It's like, um, it, it seems like all of the countries over there have gotten hit pretty hard with it. You know, Iran also had a pretty major outbreak. I, I think I remember reading a, a couple of weeks ago. Has there any been uh, any updates on that? So, the, you know, this is the one of those things that I've tried to understand uh, as far as, you know, what the reports of Iran's coronavirus are, numbers are. Because initially, you know, they're one of the countries that have the highest numbers. But but then now if you look at the charts, I, I think their total number, at least of report deaths, is either under or around 10,000. And so if you look at like kind of the graph and the curve, it doesn't look mm-hmm. that abnormal. But when you look at the numbers, I think at most they're reporting like 150 or 200 people dying a day of coronavirus. And so the the numbers don't seem right to me. You know why, yeah. why I mean like that? It, there, there's just something a little bit different about however they report the numbers in Iran that, that makes me think either everybody else is counting it wrong or they're counting it wrong. And yeah. maybe there's just something about the geography and the climate and uh, the diseases that the Iranian people are exposed to typically and the medicines that they take that made it so this is the way it worked. Maybe the way the Iranian government shut things down, it, it happened to coincide with sure there wasn't a high peak and so the, the virus totals were just very low every day. But if the official numbers are to be believed, I, I suppose Iran actually doesn't end up you know, you know the the worst country out of all of this. I mean, certainly their numbers are a lot lower than the U.S. But my my guess is that those numbers are way undercounted, and yeah. that U.S. sanctions have uh, had a devastating impact on Iran's ability to respond to the coronavirus, and uh, including the regime's incompetence has led to a lot of a lot of dead innocent people. Yeah, that's that's very true. So, uh, you know, once again, uh, Ron Paul was right. Economic sanctions are an act of war. So. Right. Absolutely. And and people don't realize there are things that they call like dual use, which, you know, you would think like uh, an N95 respirator. Oh, that's, you know, medical equipment. Well, it's also used in construction and the U.S. has sanctioned the Iranian construction industry. Yeah. And so where does that fall now? You, you know, maybe the U.S. decides that 
oh, well, you know, it's actually in the medical category. Well, then you actually have groups that are pretty closely linked to the Trump administration, which will threaten those companies and say, hey, we'll say you're doing business with the Iranian regime. And also you have the fact that the U.S. has labeled uh, essentially Iran's military as a terrorist organization. And so, you know, all you need is, you know, 3M selling a bunch of N95 respirators to Iran, the majority of which go to nurses and stuff. But then you end up with, you know, one guy in an IRGC uniform, you know, with an AK over his shoulder and and, you know, a 3M N95 on and (laughs) that's all the bad publicity that you need and so i i think there's a lot to deter companies from doing business with iran right now it's really hurting yeah uh you know (laughs) sometimes you just want to pull your hair out and uh i don't have much left so it's uh it's kind of one of those things it's like man if you would just let a market go on over there they would stop being antagonistic towards us because then you know they would have so much coming in you know, like masks and, you know, just, uh, you know, daily essentials. Like I, I don't know what their markets are like, but you can imagine like if all of a sudden they were start able to buy, you know, our shoes, clothes, that kind of stuff, it would, it would definitely improve relations. But I guess the, you know, the powers that should not be don't, don't understand that. Right. I know the Europeans really want to do business and yeah. they were, uh, you know, not, not very happy with the U S pulling out of the nuclear deal, uh, what was that was like two years ago this week in 2018 that Trump announced yeah. we are leaving the Iran nuclear deal. And that has really hurt Iran's economy over the past couple of years. They've dealt with a lot of inflation and a lot of problems is, I think, also, you know, teaching the population a lesson that you can't open up your country to outside forces, because if you do, it, it could all be taken away from you. I mean, imagine what happens if, you know, the, there's more capital coming into the co- uh, country and there's a little bit of freedom for people to go out and maybe they do have to bribe their local officials or whatever to get something done. But you're right. taking all the most ambitious entrepreneurs here, right? Those who people who are going to go out and try to get, you know, in on this new in, international business. And then, you know, they, they build all the, you know, they try to set up these contracts, maybe they start to acquire, acquire land, build batteries or something. And then the U.S. snaps sanctions back on and they lose everything. And, right. and so you've like taken so many of the most industrious people now and just, you know, completely ruined their lives. And you have the kind of same problem in politics too, where you take the people who are willing to no- negotiate with the United States, like uh, the current prime minister Rouhani and this, uh, foreign minister there, uh, Zaif, and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they had spend their political capital getting this deal done with the U.S., and that, you know, in Iran, they have their John McCain's and, and Lindsey Graham's, you know, they yeah, have yeah, the yeah. Ayatollah and everybody like that, and, and so they said, don't do a deal with America, this is going to work out bad for us, and now they get to say, I told you so, yeah. and it, it moves the, you know, Iran in a more hostile direction towards the U.S. too here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Bad faith actors on, on both sides of it, I'm sure. So yeah, that's the, they're not completely innocent as far as their government is concerned, but, um, you know, I, I, I just wish that, uh, peace and free markets would just break out all over the world. So we would have less stuff to talk about. You know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Everybody could put us out of a job by just being ANCAPs and we call go about our you know own lives all day long. Yeah, then we can just get into foolish arguments about whether or not a Pop-Tart is a fruit ravioli or not. 
Right. Or, or argue over like, you know, if, if the police officer could haul somebody in for a certain crime or not. And, yeah. you know, not if we're going to wage seven wars or eight wars. <laughs> yeah. And don't even have funding for like one of those wars, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as my good buddy, uh, Rollo McFlugel would say, you know, Bitcoin fixes this. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's one thing to look forward to. Yeah, well, I mean, with all the money they've printed in trying to respond to this coronavirus, if, you know, we ever come down from this hysteria and if people care about debt anymore, and those two things may not be true, people may take a serious look at the military budget here and say, you know what, do we need an extra 10 F-35s or do we need to save our country a billion dollars? Yeah. and if we could have that debate, I think we could win it, especially if there's a decent libertarian uh, running for president. So, yeah. Speaking of which, so Justin Amash uh, just put his hat into the ring. Well, I guess technically he's formed a uh, exploratory committee. Um, I'm not too enthused about that. Uh, you know, the Hornberger is you know a great guy and everything, but uh, I don't think he's got that you know, let me whip up the crowd uh, type of charisma. And then some of the other ones like um, Dan Behrman and uh, Vermin Supreme and everything, you know, they've got that gimmick with their hats. Uh, (laughs) And then there was somebody had posted like a whole slew of them. And I was like, I haven't even heard of like 95% of these people. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, do you stay away from the LP party politics or? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I do. The problem is, is that I'm a libertarian. And if, you know, if I'm talking to you, I'm sure you know that me being a libertarian doesn't mean that I like Gary Johnson. Right. But most people assume that whoever, you know, the presidential candidate is for the party represents the, you know, that group of people. Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing. You say you're a Republican and people assume that that means you're a support Donald Trump or something like that. Now, there's plenty of Republicans that don't right. like him. So. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I do, you know, look at it and deal with that for that reason. Um, as far as Amash goes, I guess it's kind of disappointing that it, it seems like, uh, there's been a lot of candidates doing a lot of work for the past several months and putting together campaigns and putting together platforms. Yeah. And I, I like Hornberger and I, I read a lot of his stuff. Um, so, and, and I'm a big fan of everything he writes over at FFF. And, and so I, I do like him and it seems uh, pretty unfair for Amash to just come in and assume the title uh, to go on MSNBC and talk to Chud Todd like that, like he just has it because yeah. I, I think it kind of forces the party to make a decision. Now, if in three months we do nominate Jacob Hornberger, right? And then he goes on MS, MSNBC and he's now the Libertarian Party presidential candidate. Everybody's going to be really concerned, uh, concerned or confused about what happened to Justin Amash, who yeah. was the anointed candidate by everybody, uh, apparently. Uh, yeah. The the other problem I have with Amash is that, you know, that he chose to die on the hill of Russiagate. The, yeah. the stupidest thing that's happened in the past, like, three or four years is what Justin Amash decides that you, we're going to – he split with the Republican Party over that. And yeah. so, you know, could pit the wars. Uh, he could put police killings. There's so many uh, terrible and, you know, awful things that Donald Trump is doing. And 
or he, he could have even made like a Ron Paul argument and said like, you know, in any other circumstance, I wouldn't do this. I understand that there's like a deep state coup going on here, but Donald Trump right. is so dangerous. He's committing so many war crimes. I have 10 war crimes supposed to write over here. And so for that reason, I'm, I'm going to vote for the articles of pizza. That would have been fine with me too, but nope, it, yeah. it's just Rushgate. Yeah. That's like, well, you know, obviously there was something there we went all wouldn't be talking about it if there wasn't and it's like okay well that's not really evidence buddy you know right <laughs> and then it, yeah and then getting on msnbc and i watched like a couple of clips of it and i was like oh he's trying the i'm gonna moderate the message a little bit to help the normies you know type of thing i was like oh no it, yeah so anybody I, who's going for that job should be able to communicate the message clearly and concisely and i don't think amash is gonna do it yeah, what I took from that MSNBC NBC interview is that Justin Amash's goal here, and I think the path he sees, is that Donald Trump said that he likes to grab pussy, and Joe yeah. Biden is now being accused uh, somewhat credibly pussy. Yeah. of grabbing pussy. Yeah, and so if you're you know one of three men in a room and people had the choice between three, and you're the one who could, like, stand up there and say, like, I'm legitimately a decent dude, and I don't grab pussy. Yeah. I have he never looks, sexually he assaulted looks like, anybody. Yeah, right. he looks like a wholesome guy. Right. Um, as far as I could tell, he seems like a somewhat decent person. I don't agree with all of his politics, obviously, but he yeah, seems like a right. somewhat decent person. And so maybe he does see that path. Um, I, I think there's a couple of problems. One, he won't win that way. There's just too many people still wedded to the two-party system that they're going to vote for their preferred pussy grabber over a reasonable person espousing any idea under another party name. I I mean, it's it's depressing. I don't want that to be the case, but I I think that's the case. Because this is the most important election of our lifetimes. Right. The (laughs) other problem is, is... To seem reasonable, you have to take positions, as Tom Woods says, on the three-by-five card of allowable opinions, which yeah. means you can't take libertarian positions. And so if you can't take libertarian positions and gets 10% of the vote as being the reasonable guy, what does that net the libertarian party? It, it, it doesn't seem to me to be productive to the party or to the movement. Maybe some, Maybe a few people will be exposed. Do, will we add any real libertarians? I don't know. It, it seems kind of to me like you end up with a situation um, where you have a, a few people drawn to the party that aren't really libertarians. And as yeah. soon as there's a Republican or a Democrat candidate that appeals to them a little bit more than a libertarian, you're just going to lose them anyways. I'd rather have, you know, even if Hornberger only converts, you know, a, a smaller percentage of people, maybe he only gets 4% of the vote versus the 10% of Mosh could get. You know, yeah. maybe he could bring some real people into the movement that really care about freedom and who, who will work for it and fight for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's really the main thing, because I'm, I'm done with the Libertarian Party. I was the elections chair for the Louisiana Libertarian Party, and um, I'm just kind of done with it. But uh, at the same time, you know, I want whoever they choose. Uh, I guess now it's going to be in July in Orlando again. Uh, whoever they choose, I just hope it's somebody that that can convey the message and hopefully doesn't titrate the dose a little bit. Right. And look, if, you know, Justin Amash really feels like, Hey, 
the the U.S. government is literally preventing people from like exercising their freedom of you know their property rights over themselves to go out and use their labor that you know through some eminent domain reality that this could be used to give people a little bit of money during this time well that's one thing but why put that front and center you are a libertarian talk about the the billions and trillions of dollars going to the major companies that's what you need to talk about talk about the money we're wasting you know on uh all the uh military talk about how the lockdowns are putting people out jobs and people need to be able to assess their risk and decide you know what what's appropriate for them and you know some people right now are making the decision between uh well should be able to make the decision between going to work and risking the coronavirus or not being able to feed their children and yeah. look if you're a young parent and you're in your 20s or early 30s and your child uh is relatively healthy it seems like looking at all the data you could i would make the assessment you know this is kind of why i made for myself is that it's relatively low risk to get coronavirus and so while i don't want to get it and spread to people around me at the same time if i was you know had to like feed myself or people around me i would definitely be out there working to do that and that's just because i assume that you know that's the risk i'm willing to take and people should be able to make that decision and Justin Mosh needs to be saying stuff like that. Now, I know, you know, UBI and, you know, I'm acceptable and, yeah. you know, let, let's pick me, you know, the best of both worlds. I Yeah. It's a it, kind of frustrating, but um, yeah, hopefully it'll be, um, hopefully the message will get out there because I, I do get uplifted every time that I look around and I see more and more people are talking about libertarian things. Uh, I mean, we even had just this uh, recent thing with the, uh, the cop was, um, you know, got up on, I, I think it was like Facebook or Instagram and, you know, he was imploring his fellow officers not to violate the constitution by just I arresting he got people. Fired. Yeah. And I then he, he recently got, got fired. fired. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when we're reaching police officers <laughs> who I've called on many occasions, the modern day redcoats, um, you know, obviously the message is getting out there. There's a lot more of us now than there were, you know, five, 10 years ago. Uh, but then at the same time, when I see stuff like this, where people are reporting on somebody for holding hands on a park bench and it turns out they're a husband and wife, you know, it's like, okay, come on guys. We're so close, but so far away. Right. Well, you know, you know that's one of those really unfortunate things that I, I don't think the, the, you know, Black Lives Matter movement or anything caught on to is just the dangers of calling the police on people. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, that that's the reason that, you know, we something we could be talking about from that, that I think would like actually make like a marginal and meaningful difference. If, you know, you explain to, you know, your old white grandma that, hey, like you got to stop calling police on the kids that you think are smoking dope because sometimes the cops come and blow them away. Yeah. You know, yeah. that could make a difference. At the worst, you know, just the fact that the cop is going to come over there and hassle them for what, maybe the ninth or 10th time that day. Right. Yeah. As the over-policing is the other part of it. And I've, I've had to explain that too. I've had, um, you know, a neighbor with, uh, you know, playing stereo really loud one weekend. I mean, it was loud enough where it was shaking my floorboards and he's, you know, a couple houses down. That's how loud it was. You know, you have to go over there and say, hey, you know, you have to turn it down. Like I've got kids sleeping over here. You're driving my dogs nuts. And, you know, and that person was like, oh, yeah, I didn't realize it was that loud. And it was like, yeah, just, you know, a little bit. I, I understand partying on a Friday night. You know, I've been there, too. But 
in another situation, somebody would have called the cops on that guy. And who knows what happened after that? Right. I mean, things gave hand quickly. And, yeah. you know, as you see time and time again, and, you know, video from the, the police officer's body cam or uh, somebody alongside who, you know, fortunately is smart enough to know that, hey, you see somebody getting pulled over, take out your cell phone and record it just in case his cops yeah. do anything sketchy. That way you have like something to protect that person. And the cops just escalate and escalate. They never, even when it's a situation where obviously the cop taking a step back would de-escalate the situation. And it, yeah. it may not, you know, bring it to an absolutely peaceful ending, but, but would be the smart thing to do, but they can't. Yeah. It's just, you know what I mean? That their foot could only go further down on the gas pedal until yeah. they drive a bullet right through somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, I live like right across the street from a uh, convenience store. So when people get pulled over from the highway, that's usually, that's where they get pulled over at. So I, I get to see it quite a bit. And uh, luckily I haven't seen too many people get out of hand. I've I've heard some raised voices a few times, you know, like what the fuck did you pull me over for? I was doing 60 and a 55. Come on, man. You know, that type of stuff. And it was like, Oh, Oh, don't scream at him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but uh, other than that, uh, I think that's probably a good place to to stop. You know, basically, uh, go ahead and give us all your plugs. You know, Libertarian Institute and and your uh, podcast. Yeah, so I am the news editor over at the Libertarian Institute. So everything I write or record gets published up there. Uh, the there's a daily news roundup that I write. Uh, everything's at libertarianinstitute.org slash Kyle. I'm also the uh, assistant opinion editor at antiwar.com. So, uh, you know, obviously read everything on antiwar.com every day, yes. but uh, I have some role in putting the viewpoints together if uh, people want to check that out. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and, you know, come on folks, antiwar.com, you know, great, great site to visit every day. Libertarian Institute. I mean, that's, uh, you know, Scott Horton, Pete Quinones and Kyle over there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I know it was a, you know, kind of last minute type of thing. I, I asked for people to come on and then got deluged with uh, DMS after that. So <laughs> I've got like 15 or 16 guests that are going to be on the next couple of weeks. So it's, uh, I'm going to awesome. be in editing well, hell for a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, make, make the most use out of the, you know, out of the time and get the interviews out and hopefully yep. people listen. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, not a problem. I'll uh, go ahead and end it there. But uh, thanks, Kyle, for coming on. And uh, guys, we'll uh, catch you again uh, next time with a brand new episode of Rebel with a Cause. Out.